Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Michael Hamflet from What Culture, and I'm joined by Phil Chambers from What Culture to discuss everything that happened on last night's edition of AEW Dynamite. But first, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only preview and review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Collision, Raw, SmackDown, pay-per-views, premium live events. We hold wrestler interviews, have roundtables, and have a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture, maybe not for about a month. Uh, <laughs> this was dynamite, Phil. Um, great to uh, have you on after you did the hard yards of NXT. <laughs> this is your treat. Yeah. Like, thanks for eating your vegetables at the start Thank of the you. week. Well, I say this is your treat. Theoretically, this is your treat because you get to yeah to review. Parts of it was weird. <laughs> <laughs> and what I want to just before we go into the review because I. I'm going to feel like I'm going to be pretty hostile towards this show, to be honest. Hello. Really did not enjoy it. But um, so it was subtitled Fight for the Fallen. And this was around donations being made to Maui food banks and the relief yep. fund and all that sort of stuff there. That's pretty amazing. And then I've just read news that I believe has broken today. And I'll be glad to be corrected if this was a thing that was known all along. But I understand that the, um, the money's collected from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre sponsorship, which was to the tune of $100,000. Yeah. They've now just said that's going to go straight to the charity as well. I don't believe that was something that was known ahead of time. I just took this as... I hadn't heard it. I only heard it today. Yeah, there happens to have been a sponsored match on this show. Um, Great. That's really nice. Like, I think it's worth... Um, bring that up from the top because mm-hmm. what we do on these podcasts is obviously just go into detail on the matches, on the storylines, on the angles, and the characters. It's a bit of pro but wrestling sometimes analysis. Sometimes things bigger than that. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. It's a bit of daft pro wrestling analysis, and I think um, that comes with praise, but it also comes with criticism. Yeah. And I think sometimes there's a balance to be struck, but when it comes to the real life things, I happen to think Tony Khan's got a pretty great record. I'm not going to babyface a billionaire, but just in terms <laughs> of like some of the causes the company has worked with before, donated yeah. to other organizations they've partnered with. Obviously, we've seen how well they've dealt with like when wrestlers have passed away, things like that. I think the record is pretty strong. Yeah. And I think it's worth highlighting that now. like, And not just because I want to absolutely bury this match in good faith <laughs> when we get to it, but it's because it can be two things. Ultimately, it can be two things, you know? Absolutely. like I thought this episode was trash. I thought that match in particular was a nightmare. And I'm saying that like <laughs> as the Jeff Jarrett apologist, not just of this office, but maybe of the entire wrestling fan community. But forget all that. This element of it was very nice. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. As far as billionaires go, he's 
one of the better ones, as, yeah. think, as unethical as it is to ball, be a billionaire it. in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> so with that sort of out of the way, bit of a disclaimer and all of that sort of stuff, to the more general tone and form of the podcast, uh, overall thoughts on last night's Dynamite before we go into the weeds? The very definition of a mixed bag, I mm. would say. Uh, there was some good stuff in there. First match being like one of the high points, um, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot and there was a lot. And this show, they squeezed so much onto this show. I think yeah. there was like 19 segments or something ludicrous in mm. two hours. There was a lot and there wasn't much time to rest between anything. Yeah. It was next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing, which is sort of peak dynamite, I guess. That, it, it was a dynamite like, paced dynamite, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. it really was. Like, it felt like they've calmed that down sort of yeah. more in recent months, but it was back with a vengeance today. <laughs> it was. Um, and yeah, as you say, we go right in hot with um, familiar uh, strains of uh, Orange Cassidy's music opening up a dynamite yep. um, for another international title defence against Wheeler Yuta. You can't go wrong opening a show with Orange Cassidy. Just makes you feel good, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> um, you hear Jane and you think, this might, all of this might be all right. Yeah. But do you know what? I'm going to veer slightly off piste here and Hello. say this was way, way, way on the lower end of a title reign that I have otherwise adored. Yeah. I think Orange Cassidy's form is already completed for in like the wrestler of the year ballots, even if he didn't wrestle again between now and Christmas. He's put in that much hard graft. Um, but yeah, like we'll, we'll just go through it a little bit, I guess. But So he's a defender against Wheelie Uta. This comes somewhat off the back of, obviously, Best Friends um, parking lot brawl with the BCC and the general ongoing Best Friends BCC animosity that we've had. Um, this kind of feels like the main event of that for now. Yeah. I'm not going to friggin' singles match, so at least all out. Um, but yeah, it's the usual story we've got with Orange Cassidy at this point. Like, the body is breaking down. Um, they play really well with the hand here. Like, the orange punch and all the other strikes he tries to use just is no longer as effective as it was yeah. because that hand is no longer just injured. It is pretty much ineffective. He's just got to wild swing with it. Um, Yuta's pretty great at, like, deploying his arrogant character as somebody that knows Orange Cassidy very well because they kind of had a, a mentor... He had a mentor role within Best Friends. Yeah. So he no-sells um, things like the pockets and the soft kicks at first. There's a point where they've brawled to the floor and then uh, Yuta is mocking the uh, the lazy kicks and he's just putting his hands obviously where his pockets will be in his trunks yeah. and he's just booting Orange Cassidy in his he's injured back. He's using it for a point though at the same time because yeah. he's, he's got the hands that kind of in his pockets in his trunks but he's like kicking him lightly but just to get him a bit closer to the ring a bit closer to the ring and then he ends it with a full on kick to the face. Like. An absolutely massive wallop on Orange <laughs> yeah. Cassidy. Um, so yeah they're going in pretty hard but that's like pretty much the basic story of it there's um, Orange Cassidy gets um, like a desperation beach break at one point for a pretty good near fall and it's at that point um, shortly after that should I say following a Mitchnoka driving a tornado DDT that Utah looks in trouble so um, John Moxley and Claudio Castagnoli make their way down to the ring to look imposing and look upon Orange Cassidy but ultimately um, it's not enough we uh, we see Orange actually presumably like clocking um, John Moxley and hitting a paradigm shift then going for the orange punch the hand is still selling so Utah is able to get the seat belt but it only gets two which allows Orange Cassidy to roll through with the cradle and retain his title Um yeah, quick thoughts on the match first, because I feel like the post-match is... Um, yeah, a separate thing. Yeah. Uh, has anyone kicked out of the seatbelt before? Or I don't know. That's what I was trying to figure out when yeah. it happened. It used to be, like, it, it's a weird thing to call it, like, a death blow. Yeah. But it f- was super effective, wasn't it? You know, like, it was, um, like, Z- uh, Zack Sabre Jr.'s, what was it, orientation with Napalm Death. Yeah. Like, it's not a finisher, but it's a combination that nobody could get out of. Yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. sure. Like, I'd throw that one to the listeners whether or not we've seen the seatbelt kicked out of. Fair enough, because that was an interesting point. Yeah. I really enjoyed the action between them two. I think Orange Cassidy's selling is, like, 
he's up there with the best in the world mm-hmm. at it. Um, like selling the legs he went through and the like hobbling through moves, you know, to just still like desperately, yeah. like the desperation of trying to still hit his stuff. Even more tape on his back yeah. this week as well. The Kinesio tape just keeps increasing. Yeah. And on the his entire back, story yeah. of his uh, championship run has been absolutely sublime. Um, I think Wheelie Utah could probably learn a thing or two in terms of the selling in this because mm. I think he shrugged a lot of things off really, really, really quickly. And like the big one, I guess, would be the orange punch towards the end. Like he hit him with the orange punch and he went down, but then the like distraction happened and then Utah got up in like seconds and was straight <laughs> back into it. Like absolutely nothing had ever happened to him. Like he wasn't even like dazed or confused or anything. He was straight back into it. And it's like, yeah, oh, that's, that takes a little bit uh, off, like a little bit of the shine off the move kind of thing. And it mm. is like, is his finishing move like there should be something there um but yeah i it's, the back and forth action between the two was great and um it just like yeah i, I just i just wish it was leading to a moxie singles match at the pay-per-view at all in anyway Look, this is going to kind of be really, the, really do it's going to be the same this review realistic isn't it that sort of um line of thinking just on that really briefly like i wasn't anywhere near as high on this one i was kind of yeah. i was disappointed in, that, in like on those terms, because of it being Orange Cassidy and Wheelie Utah, yeah. expectations were high, and I think where this fell down for me personally, and there might be something in that, you know, about Utah selling, but um, they didn't. There wasn't much drama going in that there was a title change, and that's been one of the thrills of the Orange Cassidy international title reign, especially as he gets more injured. Yeah, like you feel like even when he's paired with an opponent where this would be like a major upset, the breaking down of the body justifies it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. every in my mind, every match should kind of come with that level of stress at this point. And they never really achieved that for me. And for those two, that was what I was quite surprised about. I kind of thought, I don't have it going in, but they'll find it for me in the match. And I just never really got there. And maybe, to your point, there's maybe something to do with you to sell him. Maybe it was just, I am watching two guys go through the motion so we can get to the post-match. Yeah. It was, it was an element it of that throughout. felt like it was, I mean, as soon as Blackpool Combat Club came out, it was, it was waiting to see what happens with that yeah. rather than what the actual finish was. Like, I think the first five minutes of the match was way better than the end five minutes. Yeah, uh, that's like, probably they fair, really, yeah. they really started it hot. Like, mm. they came out, they the big running knee, like, straight away. Like, mm-hmm. they came out really, really hot and really quick. And the back and forth and the... Like combinations between the two were really, really good for those first few minutes, leading to the bit on the outside and the power drive on the floor. Yeah, and then it was probably after they got back in con- control, and I guess when Wheelie Utah got back in control, mm. it maybe like fell down a little bit. You're kind of waiting for the Orange Cassidy's rise and eventual yeah. victory. Yeah, the post match is yeah. Obviously, I think I feel like what the two of us have been putting off talking about a little <laughs> bit. Um, so naturally, the BCC immediately getting on the beatdown on Orange Cassidy, which brings brings out the best friends who even the sides. But seemingly, because they're crap, cannot quite even the fight, <laughs> which means that the baby faces, uh, as with all traditional wrestling storylines, Phil, uh, suddenly have a six on three advantage. When um, the Lucha Brothers, well, seven, I guess, if you like, want to yeah. count all the bodies technically out there, but the Lucha Brothers come out, so then the BCC are really knackered. And then, just to ensure that they're dead and buried and never coming back, Eddie Kingston makes his return then. So I found the ordering of all that very strange. Like, it's Eddie Kingston returning to television off the back of a G1. Yeah. Like, when he last returned, I think it was maybe like, well, obviously about two, three weeks before the G1, that was electrifying, just to have Eddie Kingston back. And he brings that energy and that, like, urgency, which is tremendous. But the the layout of this just felt all wrong to me. And all it, with entrance music as well, which is always uh, really uh, annoying in these situations because yeah. it makes no goddamn sense. Just like someone's just sat the there waiting, especially yeah. with them staggering it and Eddie mm-hmm. Kingston coming out last. It's just, oh, you guys go, I'll, I'll, I'll wait a minute. <laughs> well, and you know, there's sometimes when you can kind of wave that away with like, look, this is the magic of wrestling television. Yeah. That we kind of have to like stagger these pops and you want to get the, the desired reactions or whatever. And Kingston's great on the mic, but so it's as... 
And again, I just felt like this was oddly arranged um, and it was chasing something um, Pavlovian for me. Um, and I do want your thoughts on it because we haven't discussed this over the desk. I'm very careful to not like bring up a lot of thoughts I've had on this dynamite because I've been looking yeah, forward like to talking about it. We haven't about spoken about this dynamite at all all no. morning and we've been in the office like together for like three hours or something. I was writing ups and downs to the website. Longer. You were <laughs> editing Miller's ups and downs. Yeah. So we've both been entrenched in dynamite content. <laughs> but and not then, actually talking about and it. And not talking about <laughs> it. So Eddie Kingston, like once the baby faces with a six on three advantage of retained control of the ring. Yeah. Um, Eddie Kingston with uh, BCC in the crowd and ready to scarper lays down the challenge for um, all in Wembley Stadium crowd are going wild, six on six stadium stampede. So yeah. it's a slight diversion from the, I think in Meltzer's room around up that otherwise he was spot on with, he pitched it was maybe going to be a trios. Yeah. Um, and now this is obviously the, you know, they've bolstered the numbers, which makes a bit of sense because BCC have had the stuff with Lucha Brothers and with Best Friends and it's Kingston and Moxley and all that kind of thing. But the BCC have got to go and find three partners, whether or not that's an existing trio or three separate heels, we don't know. And I guess that's the suspense and the drama because we've only got um, like next week's Dynamite to to find out. So, um, but yeah, just what it is with this, um, I don't think, I think they knew that that would get a great reaction because it's like all of these words in a row make me want to (laughs) cheer. And I think there's a certain impulsiveness to make you go, oh, wow. Like I feel these things for Stadium Stampede and like they, this can't fail. Like they're going to go crazy in Wembley Stadium. All the words in the right order feel like they're designed to make you pop. Yeah. But then break them down. What is it? Because Stadium Stampede in 2020 existed as this, frankly, like almost fever dream of a match mm-hmm. that allowed you, and double enough in 2020 as a show did, but especially Stadium Stampede, for like, what, half an hour? Just to pretend the world wasn't happening outside? Yeah. They nailed escapist wrestling like almost nothing ever did before yeah, at absolutely. the time when, like, the world needed it, right? That wrestling genuinely served that old-fashioned purpose. And it was wonder Like, I would tiptoe towards the word beautiful about what, like, Stadium Stampede. And then Stadium Stampede 2... It was a bit literal in how it started in the silence and worked back to the crowd. And yeah. it was like, look, we're back. It didn't have any of the charm yeah. because it just, we were all in a different headspace. We didn't require that from our wrestling anymore. We required, um, it was the pinnacle and the inner circle. Yeah. We required just blood and guts to have been good the first time. Yeah. Not a comedy, like, walk and brawl. <laughs> like, we just wanted the blood feed to be the blood feed first yeah. time out. So it just felt surplus to requirements. And the big thing that I hadn't seen many people talking about is, like... Stadium Stampede took place in an empty stadium. Yeah. Wembley's going to be full. Yeah. So are we really just... Is it, am I just playing semantics here and this is just Anarchy in the Arena 3 and there doesn't need to be anything wrong with that? Like, or is there a, a sort of a wider criticism here that six individual walk and brawls split across an enormous 80,000-seater stadium all to, say, end with two people having a pinfall exchange in the ring? Yeah. Isn't that great? Is that like, I don't know, I'm just in a real mood at the moment and I'm just not seeing the wood for the trees with this one. I think I think at the end of the day, it's probably going to be really good fun. However, it's the joy of Stadium Stampede was the fact that it was an empty arena. Mm. Like they had the excuse to ride a horse across the yeah. pitch, drive, ride around in like golf carts. like do the all, bar. Yeah, do all the stupid stuff where they just get to go wherever the hell they want and mm. do whatever they want. And with crowds, like that's going to be limited. Yeah. Because you still got to get the cameras to these people. You've got to make sure everybody's safe at the same time. Mm. Um, and so it's it's going to be much more limited, which makes it, turns it into just a, a bigger anarchy at the arena. And we were at anarchy in the arena yep. for uh, Double or Nothing mm-hmm. in Vegas. And as 
like chaotic as it is, it's not. I didn't think it was the best live experience. Well, I thought it was different. Yeah, and it definitely stood out in my mind as a thing that we've seen live. But yeah. like, as watching it in the crowd, mm-hmm. it's really hard to follow. The music contributed a lot to it. I thought, yeah. like the music contributed to the energy. The I remember me and Sid talking about this on podcasts afterwards, and it was funny because we'd inadvertently, as a duo replicated the feeling of the first one. You know where the cameras would miss things? Yeah. Or it would get there just in time. And that was fine because if you miss something, it's just because there's so much going on. Yeah. It was like coordinated uncoordination, the yeah. first one. I love that. We kind of did that accidentally <laughs> because we found ourselves watching different wrestlers. Yeah. So he, I remember he like, he squealed. At, uh, I think it was like one of the young bucks jumping off the stage and I hadn't seen it at all because I was watching like a brawl going on at ringside, I think between like Kenny Omega and Wheelie. So, yeah. You know what I mean? Like I was really invested in somebody who picked up a barricade. I was like, oh, I'm going to watch that right now. <laughs> and then I'm missing like a young book. But great. Yeah. Because it's like, where do I look? What do I like? Fantastic. I think that's incredibly hard to replicate in an 80,000 seat stadium. Yeah. Like you exactly. can't scaling it up. Like we were in a half full. Yeah. Um, but it's like T-Mobile arena. I mean, there, there was a bit in that, that even the cameras missed when they were, when they went onto the, was it the barbed wire on, on the outside? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And they kind of missed it and they had to do the replay. That mm. was like down by the stage, by the entrance ramp, but yeah. it was down in the pit a little bit. So mm. it, like all of the fans in that corner covered it up. So like, I'd say 90% of that arena couldn't see that. Yeah. And that's in like a reasonably smallish like, yeah, like arena the... that's well made with like every seat can see pretty much everything. Yeah. And you're still going to be missing really big spots in terms of like a barbed wire it's, spot. Uh, I like I welcome like, you know, in your replies to the, to the tweet this podcast goes out, like your sort of innovative suggestions for this. Like I was thinking, do they spill out onto Wembley Way? Like yeah. and or like like use the environment, but then again, you've got like suddenly a lot of people watching on a screen, and that's like less than ideal. Like it's one yeah. thing I know. Then big venues, we've both been to WrestleMania's where you do have to use the screen yeah, sometimes, but it should be for your comfort, yeah. not as an essential part of the viewing experience. Yeah, and I, I don't know. Like the jury's out on this one, and AEW definitely deserve, I think, your patience and let it play out privileges on a match like this. Yeah. But my gut... Especially with the talent involved. It, absolutely. <laughs> but whether or not it was just because I couldn't help but, like, you know, that Simpsons angry sigh. <laughs> like, it wasn't just... Oh, it was... Because like, I'm watching, like... And there was going to be two segments in a in row where, like, a minimum of three wrestlers should have been involved in something more yeah. emotional, ideally in a singles program. A yeah. minimum of three in a group setting are trapped in a big group setting that is transparently a match to build other matches, yeah. including for a pay-per-view the following week with, uh, quick maths, 71,000 people less in attendance. <laughs> like, this is my bitterness coming through, yeah. and I know this debate is raging, but like, I couldn't switch that off. Yeah, no, 100%. And it's, it's it, feel, it screams of a way of just getting more stars on the show as well, Like, which yeah. I'm, I'm in two minds about because it's really nice for them mm-hmm. to be able to, like, it's 12 people in one match that you'd be able to get out on a massive stage, whereas, like, if you did split this up, you'd have maybe... Moxley, Orange Cassidy, Eddie Kingston, Cesaro. For example. yeah. For example. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then everybody else <laughs> wouldn't have anything to do on the day, which is harsh. But as a viewer, as a fan, I think I'd rather see Moxley versus Orange Cassidy. Can we not get a giant chocolate big show like Andre the Giant? Just put him on top of a trophy. <laughs> this is true. We'll just do a the, Royale. That's the point of those things. We'll have the tall Paul Invitational. <laughs> like, to just, like the, the thing is, like, the... <laughs> The Orange Cassidy International Title Battle Royal kicked ass yeah. at double or nothing. Oh, yeah, they're really like, good at Battle Royals. They've had some pretty great Battle Royals over the years. Yeah. Like, they're not all perfect, and the casino thing he's obsessed with just never really works. Yeah. But, like, they've the had some decent. 
yeah. that Battle Royale My was God, absolutely yeah. bloody brilliant. With all the different indie gimmicks coming yeah. in for the one night thing. Like, I, I, I still feel that was a... I'd rather have had eight singles matches and a, and a big 30-man battle royale. Yeah, me too. You know, but anyway. Especially when the feuds are right there. Like, it isn't just people thrown together. There are, like, layers to this. Yeah. And you could be paying them off on the grandest stage. I know, man. Look, I don't want to... This is it. It's going to sound like we've got an agenda here, yeah. and we haven't. And the last thing I want to do is bore our listeners with just ranting on about wrestlers that should be in singles matches instead of multi-man. So next we go to Kenny Omega with Jim Ross. Uh, they're sat in uh, Daly's place. You're right, Jim Ross should be in a singles match. <laughs> hey, man, that video of him selling that old Royal Rumble that I put on Twitter the other day, I was all fired up. I was ready, I was ready to go to war for him. Um, yeah, Kenny Omega uh, is talking about how... Um, he believes it's it's this. I would classify this whole segment as a really really interesting bit of business until it wasn't. Yeah, uh, it, it pivoted badly. Um, so he's talking about the relationship with Don Callis that we all know, but he's going into a bit more detail about it. He says um, that he thinks that Don Callis picked Kanuka Takeshita not just because he saw somebody that could replace him, but somebody that knew it would actively hurt him to replace him. Yeah. They showed footage of the two of them working together in DDT, and they're kind of like, obviously Omega's got the experience and he's got the longer standing relationship with Callis, but like he kind of considers Takeshita almost an equal, and he feels like that's why Callis has done it extra mean, and he feels more hurt by that because he starts building up this uh, relationship with Uncle Don. He says he uh, you know, didn't really have vacations, and he when he started getting good at sport, Don Callis would come around and visit. He would bring him vitamins. He would bring him vials of substances, which then cuts to Jim Ross going, I'm talking about steroids, Kenny. But that just didn't get, like, this was one of several really weird and disarming cuts to Jim Ross. This was in the bit where he was talking about the good points of Don Carlos yeah. as well, by the way. Yeah, right. So he did this and this and this and this. Despite he was Cal- great. And Jim Ross going, wait a second. So, like, that he genuine... Gave me loads of steroids when I was a kid. Could have been a bit, right? Could have been a bit, but, like, it was one of several, like, really haunting cuts to Jim Ross. Like, really odd. Like, you're the man to speak on this, but I found this to be some really odd production choices here. Yeah. Um, and then Don Callis emerges. So they're in, obviously, just an empty space in Daly's place. There's loads of room. Callis just appears. Like, it's one of them sort of, it's not a sneak attack from the front, but, like, in real life, Kenny must have seen him coming yeah. for about, like, ten minutes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, God, what are you doing here? <laughs> and Callis basically just is there to um, play the briefest distraction so that uh, the Bing Bing Gang can attack from behind. It's uh, Juice Robinson, it's Jay White, kind of following through on what they said on Collision, yeah. that they're going to prove that they're the elite version of Bullet Club. And for a feud that didn't exist on Saturday, they beat the dog out of Kenny Omega. <laughs> I know that, like... Um, like and look, I'm wearing a New Japan shirt as we record this. I know that um, like anyone that's been in New Japan or was in a Bullet Club or all that will understand that Jay White turned on Kenny Omega all the way back in 2017 when he first joined Chaos and then took over leadership of Bullet Club when Kenny Omega was gone. Yeah. So I understand that there exists this like maybe lingering competitiveness between the two. Mm-hmm. But Jesus Christ, like this was a total mugging. They had him like tied up in the cables. They smashed him with a steel bar. Like nearly, uh, like broke a two by four over his back. Yeah. It was a pretty vicious beatdown, but again, it was like it was shot like a pantomime. They kept <laughs> cutting back to Jim Ross. He kind of didn't cut back to Jr. Was so funny. Like he was just sat in his chair for ages. Yeah, and then like he was just looking around, and then he kind of got up and stood up and was just watching, and then he just wandered off. Yeah, <laughs> like, call the cops, that was JR. It. Like do something. He was looking as if like was anybody going to help? While you're thinking, well, you should probably be able to facilitate that, Jim. <laughs> yeah. So if anything, the heat's on JR. But like, uh, maybe he's a secret member of Bullet Club Gold. Maybe. But uh, aye, so like, they're just decking Kenny Omega, like leaving him lean. Um, that kind of opens the door for Takeshita to come in and get the last killer blows on him, which ties this whole thing together. There's, there's three of them, Phil. 
right? And there's only one Kenny Omega. But don't worry if you uh, had if you'd already if you'd not quite had your fill of like terribly produced vignettes. Hangman Page is at the inverted commas hospital, right? Uh, I don't know what you're saying. That was definitely a hospital. Did you not see the ambulance in the background? Did you not see the doctor wearing AW staff security (laughs) shirt? Um, And the, the, the... the door in the background. That was definitely a hospital door. A door with an am- It was right there, right? <laughs> I d- did you assume as well this was the thing that he was told he couldn't film at Collision in all of this like scandal in the <laughs> yeah. week or whatever? Um, so uh, he's uh, he's there and he's saying, um, now there's something I really want to put over. Hello. Right. So he's saying, uh, you know, wh- which is weird, like he's just watching this now or he's already seen it or whatever. He's like, you've beaten Kenny Omega up and that's not on. Um, but he's uh, not, you know, he's, he's got friends now. Like, and he's got his partners old and new. He's got me, and he's also got Kota Ibushi. And the three of us are going to take on the three of you all in. The rumours confirmed, basically. It's a match we're kind of all knew was happening thanks to Dave Meltzer's reporting. Like, the yeah, man doesn't take victory uh, laps, right, but, yeah. yeah, think about that when you're burying him that he absolutely nailed this a few days ago. <laughs> Nobody ever gets anything perfect, but it's, you know, we still all bow at the worship at the altar of Uncle Dave from time to time. Um, yeah, I want to put one thing over, because I've buried it enough, and then I'll let you actually speak on it. Yeah. I'm on page on a can in his hand. He did. And... I love the relationship with alcohol that Hangman Page doesn't doesn't have. So he obviously for years was booze was the Homer Simpson cause of and solution to all of life's problems yep. for Hangman Page. It was thrown in his face literally by the Young Bucks. It was shared with FTR. It was drank alone when he felt isolated from the elite, and indeed it was placed to one side when he finally sort of conquered all of his demons and won the world title. I found it, A, really interesting that he's back on the booze, now he's back fighting Kenny Omega's battles. Yep. Is this a man losing his agency with, within the elite all over again? And B, pretty cool that Hangman Page is having a beer while his IRL nemesis runs around on the other show with a real-world title that he took off Hangman Page with a straight-edge X <laughs> running through it. And, I, like, I just thought, well, that's kind of nice, isn't yeah. it? Like, if... if Things are better than a lot of people would have you believe, and they're like they're seeding things for the future. I thought, well, that's pretty awesome because that's the direction to go. Yeah. So, frankly, that kind of beer, more than anything else on this show, <laughs> was representative of the AWI I want. Yeah, because I was being told to think stuff. Yeah, and it will matter down the road. It will definitely yeah. matter. And it's not he's... shoved in your face. No, either it's there for you to pick up on. Should you wish yeah. or look to read into it's, it's, it's it? It's kind of losing a bit later again. on down the line. Yeah, but yeah, it's just there. Um, so really great. Rest of it, crap, yeah. garbage. The, I, I, I couldn't have liked it less. The the everything to do with Don Callis on this episode is so in, utterly confusing, I, yeah. and I don't understand where they're going. Like this, <laughs> it should be really good. Uh-huh. If you look at this on paper, you've got like the Kenny Omega and Don Callis situation, and uh, Kotobushi coming back and joining forces with them, and uh, Takeshita. Like they even hark back to some like DDT footage mm. of uh, Kenny Omega versus Takeshita. Saying that, like, oh, he should have been like under the tutelage of someone amazing, but now he's under Don Callis, and then, like, what's going to happen? Like, everything about this should be really good, and it it almost feels like it's the, the beginning of a story that All In is getting in the way of, mm. rather than All In is either the destination for it or even a platform for it. <laughs> yeah, like it feels like it needs a few more weeks, maybe to get it to All Out <laughs> before this story will like come together, and it's almost been rushed because of that. Mm-hmm. Like there's plenty in here. There's layers. There's stuff that you can be told, but mm-hmm. it just feels like that one Kenny Omega segment has tried to get way too much of it out in one go, and then add in the Bullet Club Gold stuff just to get it over the edge to get to a match. Yeah, I, I think you're dead right. I think that's uh, yeah, and I base some of that on. Um, so there's been like, I don't know. This has not been reported about. Let's. I don't think I'm not very good at keeping up with the news cycle. 
Um, I'll try and keep up with it, but I forget who actually reports it and sends yeah, out yeah. there in the first place. But there is, I've seen various things over the last sort of couple of weeks that the elite re-signing, and the Young Bucks specifically, I guess, in this case, being why Young Bucks FTR3 is happening. Right. The implication being that if the elite weren't going to sign, then FTR Young Bucks wouldn't be happening. Yeah. And obviously think of the ripple effect that has with lots of characters. Yeah. I don't get that either. Like, let's say the Young Bucks were... Like, I know this would be like nightmare scenario for some. Let's say the Young Bucks were headed to WWE for the Royal Rumble. Yeah. Right? And it's going to be Usos at WrestleMania, whatever. Like, is it not just like best for business to have the biggest tag match on the biggest show anyway? Yeah. Like, and Especially then, when they're already 1-1, one, one, and then you could just have them put over FTO and yeah. they've got this amazing team going forward. Throw the T's out there that the contracts have expired, and yeah. it's like, well... So are they going to lo- are they going to want to beat FTR? Like for us nerds, it becomes this yeah. fascinating little political are they chess go out, match. Want to go out with the belts that they created? Uh-huh. Like I don't know why they, I can't put my finger on this. Is it like um a, like a I don't, ego's not the word, but are they just sort of deciding right now we've got these deals, we will do this match, but without the deals in hand, we're less care. I yeah. just don't know why. That wouldn't be the most... Like, there were, and I guess if they hadn't re-signed, this wouldn't be the case, but they were at least and are EVPs. Yeah. This is the match. Yeah. I've, and there's I've no had plenty to criticise about All-In. sign that you'd keep them off All-In. No. <laughs> but, then, but then what? Then we're going back to that Hung Bucks, Righteous Dark Order situation that sounded yeah. preposterous. Like, I don't know. I just I, There's an element of that that I don't get, and I do understand that if that was the case, and if that is true then it does put us in the position you've described, which is, all oh, right, well, we've got to make this trios match feel like a blood feud, effectively, and we've got to do it really quickly. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's led to some pretty unfavourable stuff. And we have to say this because I just feel sort of obligated because if you don't, some people boot off, I suppose. Of course, the match will be great. Yeah, of course. Like, it will. The, the ceiling for this match is five stars. Yeah. Like, it's Kenny Omega and Hangman Page working in, like, sort of in sync again. Yeah. If you're going to get an Throwing Ibushi, the Golden Lovers into that as well. If you're going to get an Ibushi performance the likes people want rather than at Blood and yeah. Guts, it's going to be in a more focused blood, uh, Golden Lovers environment. Yeah. JY rules. Juice Robinson rules. Kanoka Takeshi rules. Like, nobody. Yeah. If they're saying that, they're lying. Yeah. <laughs> like, the ceiling for this match is five stars, and yet it feels incredibly dynamite and nobody... Yeah. Not nobody wants it. I'm not, spe- I'm not speaking of everybody. Plenty of people don't want it. Yeah. I think maybe it says more about how dynamite is booked in general, that we do get a lot of this style of multi-band tag matches mm-hmm. thrown together, which I'm not, like, against. Don't get me wrong. Like, it's, I mean, New Japan do it all the bloody time. In yeah. between big matches, they'll do the big multi-band things. But I guess because that has become such a norm and you, like, on a weekly basis end up with incredible, like, like talent in these uh, trios-type matches yeah. that you're kind of spoilt for it almost, that mm. it then doesn't feel as special when it's happening on something, and uh, well, especially when it's happening as something as big as All In. Yeah, your um, New Japan point there, I'd previously, flippantly a little bit, but suggested that, like, we're going to the backlash to All Out's WrestleMania. Yeah. I think the better comparison here is the New Japan Road to. Yeah, like we might be, we might have found ourselves stuck on the biggest road to ever. <laughs> and I just, I, um, and you mentioned Don Callis and the Don Callis stuff not making sense. Yes. So it's Don Callis who closes the Don Callis video from the ring yeah. where he's waiting with a picture or something on a framed item underneath a sheet in the ring, and he's waiting for Chris Jericho's uh, answer. So he brings Chris Jericho out. Um, Jericho is quite stern faced and quite ruddy about it, but he says, "Look, I don't join factions." Um, I create them, but because I can't trust the JAS, I will join the Don Callis family. Callis himself looks shocked, 
what? yes, uh, yeah, great. And goes to give him the hug and everything. Um, seems relieved, if anything. Has obviously not necessarily expected that as an answer. And says, great, let's get out of here. Let's go beat them some rednecks in the bar like the old days. Um, so they go to leave. And then right as Jericho's halfway through the, the ropes, he just looks back and says, oh, what's that picture? And Kyle's like, oh, no, it's nothing, it's nothing, it's just one, another bad news one. We'll get it another time, it's fine, it's fine. And Jericho's like, no, 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 let's go and have a look at what this is. And he pulls away the sheet, and it's another one of those incredible artworks, this time of Don Callis holding Chris Jericho's severed head. Um, Jericho is shocked and angry and says, oh, so this is what you were going to do, was it? This is what you expected. You thought I would say no, and then you would just have me beheaded? Is that what you were thinking? Um, after everything I did for you, you weren't anything to do with this industry before Chris Jericho came back into your life all those years ago. Goes on this sort of rant about Don Callis and like what a kind of scumbag he is and what a uh, like, piece of garbage he is, but somebody that he would have been prepared to be in league with because of all the history that got between them. And then Callis flips that back on him and he says, no, Chris, like I didn't think you'd say yes because your ego's too big. You know, you're sort of... Previous, I should point out that Jericho said that getting back with Callis might get him back to the world title. Yeah. Shivers down our spines. And, uh, <laughs> like, and you know, this was to Callis's point. You know, you've got this big ego. I never would have imagined you would have gone with me because you think you can't... You don't need me. You think that you can just do this all on your own. Um, and, you know, at this point, Jericho is fuming with the situation. He feels betrayed like the... Which, just want to put a pin in that now, which means that, yes, was definitely earnest. Yeah. He was ready to join this group, right? Yeah. So he's, but he's fuming with Don Callis, so he goes to attack him. He starts attacking him in the corner, at which point Konosuke Takeshita is in the ring. The ambush is on. Jericho starts to fight back, starts to overpower Takeshita, at which point Will Ospreay appears. He's there to be the difference maker, wallops Jericho in the head with a steel chair, busts him open, Um lays out the challenge, does he, for... Or no, I don't think he does, does no, he? They no. just beat him up. Jericho does that later. That's right, yeah, sorry. Beats him up, and then they pick him up so that Don Callis can use the picture to smash uh, over the head of Chris Jericho while he's already bleeding, but he's laid out more. Yeah. And then, yeah, just to like, tie a bow on this for the night, I guess, later on, we see Chris Jericho getting medical attention. He's with Renee, and then he says... Um, My favourite thing about this bit is he's backstage, he's on, like, the, the medical be- bench or whatever, yeah. and, the, uh, like, the medic is there, like, yes. in his head, but she's not actually touching his head. <laughs> <laughs> with the cloth like she's trying to wipe away the blood but like she's a centimeter away from they his head the blood. they need the blood for yeah. the visual, so she can't actually touch it it's so stupid he does, just um, don't have her in the shot you remember that uh, <laughs> video that did the rounds of prince now king charles like there was a pen quite close to his hand but not where his hand was so he's like get that away jericho has that same shoeing motion to this poor actor playing a medic or whatever it is get away get out my shot i'm chris jericho damn it and in this he um this was very like Again, like I think you had to do a few laps here, but like he tried. He was like, oh, you want to beat me down? You want to bludgeon me? Well, how about you bludgeon me on the biggest event of all time? All in, blah, blah, blah. We were going to fight at the Tokyo Dome in 2021, uh, but obviously that couldn't happen because of the pandemic. So that's why this is okay to take place in the stadium. <laughs> People on the internet, they're angry that I'm fighting well Ospreay. That was like 100% a shot, wasn't it? Like the sort of, I've read the comments. You don't think I should have the match. Uh, so this is why we're doing it. So one note to me, actually. I thought that was a bit of a snake move. But anyway, that's like, the so match is signed. We've got the graphic. Well, Ospreay's agreed. Um, I, so, right. Let me, you know when we're doing the NXT thing? Yeah. And I was like laying out the Heritage Cup story. Yeah. And you were like, so that was that. No, Phil, it wasn't that. It was this. <laughs> Let me just get this right. Chris Jericho last week yeah. is ousted from his heel stable and kind of generates sympathy as a baby face that has been abandoned by his friends and he doesn't know what to do. Yeah. So the, Even though he was abandoned because he's a bit of a dick. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was played, wasn't it? It was like, a, well, I'm 
gets them all alone then. Because yeah. Sammy Guevara is like, I'll, I'll stick with you. Yeah. And he's ostensibly a face in this. So the baby-faced Chris Jericho walks the aisle with this big decision to make. And if, say, if the, let's just say this was the hottest story in wrestling. Yeah. You would be begging for Jericho not to join him, wouldn't you? Yeah. You would be, please, please, Chris, don't do it. Because you're a paragon of virtue, as yeah. you used to call yourself. Slap him in the face, say, I'll never, ever be yeah. with you again. Or, like, say yes, but then it's a ruse. Yeah. And you've set up in the JAS of, like, come back to your yeah. side and you're going to turn on him or whatever. So he says yes. I, uh, like, again, if this is the hottest thing in wrestling, you're just you're heartbroken. It's not. So you're just like, yeah. ah. So, all right, it's a yes. When's the, when's the twist? He's not the... just said yes. He said yes because of incredibly selfish means that yeah. he wants to use this situation in order to get back to the championship. Yeah, like <laughs> f my old friends. Yeah, exactly. like they've abandoned me. So now we Screw have to them. take last week's thing as a full on shoot. Yeah, the JAS have abandoned Chris Jericho. So like the sympathy was real, but f them. Like so, you don't need to be sympathetic for him anymore. He's got the Don Callis family. Yeah, Callis, who has put the picture in the ring, has gone to great trouble and expense to get this picture made has assumed that his six to eight weeks worth of courting has failed. Yeah? Yeah, and That's isn't right, even going to give it a chance. Yeah. Succeed. This thing that he's put a load of work into, he yeah. already assumed would fail. That he obviously desperately wanted, otherwise he wouldn't have put this much time and effort into. Right. So at the point at which Jericho said yes, rather than Callis going, ah, um, look over there, and then grabs a picture and smashes Jericho over the head with it. Yeah. Or says look over there, and yeah. then grabs a picture and throws it out the ring. Oh, like, Jericho didn't see it, and he didn't watch the show, so we'll be all right. Yeah. And then we know that, like, Callis didn't want him. Where's this going, you know? Yeah. So, am I right? Are we up to yeah, speed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think so. they're going to leave together. Jericho sees the picture, obviously. He goes back, and, uh, you know, he's like, you're going to screw me? And then that's effectively a babyface turn. Yeah. That's three turns for this one segment. <laughs> <laughs> right, so he's turned babyface on Callis to say no, f you, like you'd be nothing without me, yeah. whatever. Callis at that point, rather than doing the old, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, this was wrong. I did want you yeah. eight weeks of work. I still wanted you. Goes well, and I want you anyway, yeah. loser. Right? Uh, yeah, yep, yeah, and gives loads of legitimate reasons why he didn't want him. Good, good like nice eight like, weeks, well thought out. Yeah, nice eight <laughs> weeks, well spent, Don. Yeah. Um, at which point the ambush that he planned goes ahead. Yeah, and. It ends. Be- but only because Don Callis was in trouble, not that like he'd called for something to happen. Yeah, right. Yeah. Jericho was like strangling him in the corner. So had that not occurred, Takestra and Osprey would have yeah. just had to sit on the hands. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's a layer we didn't even think about, but yeah, good point. Um, so then they ambush him. Yeah. Three on one. Yeah. Right. I know the opening segment told us that having double the amount of men <laughs> is, is, a, is a babyface trait, but let's say, like, following the traditional tenets of wrestling... Three-on-one ambush where you bloody the guy makes you the heel. Yeah. Where's All In taking place? Phil, where? London. Who's from London? Uh, Will Asprey is. Right. So he's the heel going into this massive match that is apparently, it's actually two years in the making. So, like, and and you're the heel for it. He's in front of 80,000 of his countrymen. (laughs) Help me make sense of this. No. (laughs) Just flat out, absolutely not. This is dumb. This is so very dumb. And, like, not even, like, if Don Callis was going to turn on him, and the whole eight weeks of build to get to this of him desperately trying to make Jericho join forces with him was a ruse. Yeah. I mean, clever. Well done, <laughs> I guess. But then wouldn't he just bring Jericho out to the ring and then it, they'd just sneak attack him from behind right at the beginning? Why, like, why go yeah. through the whole thing of, oh, I want your answer? If he knew that the answer, or he thought that the answer was going to be no and he was going to turn on him anyway... Then he doesn't, he doesn't need to know the answer. He just needs to turn on him. 
You had it. At, you had it at, um, clever, I guess. <laughs> I, think, I think you had it solved there. You had that case cracked. There it's, was so many holes in this. It's it's shoddy, isn't it? Yeah. And like the thing is, when we were talking about the elite one, and the, the, if there is this books re-signing ramification deal, yeah, we knew of this match before it was even implied on television because yeah. we just had the rumor mill started turning that Jericho wanted it. Yeah. So this is a. Jericho backstage is using his, you know, and I'm not, this is not a day to discuss what Jericho's power yeah. should or shouldn't be in within AEW. But at some point he said, I fancy Osprey if that's going. And Tony Khan said, all right. Yeah. So this is the plan. And like before we like shoot on this or whatever, like I, I'm actually really intrigued by the Jericho Osprey match. I know it's, it's Jericho being Jericho of getting a match of that caliber on this stage with who it is yeah. in his hometown. Uh-huh. But I think that match is going to be fascinating. I, well, right, I think it's it's worth you bringing this up, right? Because obviously there's a lot of people that are really buzzing for Jericho Osprey. There's a lot of people that specifically are angry with the Kenny thing because they wanted Kenny Osprey 3. Yeah. I'm just going to put this out there. I didn't want Will Osprey on the card at all. Yeah. Like, he's not an AEW wrestler. Yeah. There are certain New Japan AEW overlaps that I would have welcomed. From a personal taste point, Osprey wasn't one for me, right? Right. He's got, like, the big match against Shingo the night before. Mm-hmm. Um, that'll again be for like a specific audience that people love. It just he's not my guy, Osprey, and I didn't really want him on the show. So this isn't a ugh, I don't look at Jericho versus Osprey. Yeah. I get the curiosity. Um I don't think this will be a disaster. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's gonna go on first if I <laughs> if I think I know Chris Jericho. Um so it, it stands a hell of a chance of, you know, getting that kind of reaction as well. Yeah. Um I just I d- there's a few cases on this card where I feel like I'm watching stuff that's for the wrestlers rather than for the punters. Yeah. The one thing with this, like, if, we look, if we're looking at this as they've told it to us, the one thing we know for sure is that Osprey is a heel. Yeah. In the UK in front of 80,000 people. Okay, fine. Yeah, whatever. Do the Bret Hart thing? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he can. I yeah. mean, Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature sleep number smart beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together jd power ranks sleep number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store and now save 50 percent on the sleep number limited edition smart bed for a limited time for jd power 2023 award information visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com 
He is a cocky little guy. <laughs> he will be able to get people to turn <laughs> No, but I'm saying, could he be the babyface situationally because it's London and they could yeah, flip yeah. back? Yeah, so it's, it's, you're already making it harder for yourself yeah. by putting it in that situation, especially when you're doing it up against Jericho, who has been a heel for a real long time now. Mm-hmm. And the way that he's turned is basically his heel friends have turned their back on him because he was too heelish. Uh, he w- tried to join forces with... Massive heel, yeah. Who's literally like just the segment before beating up one of the top baby faces in the company, yeah. And because he was going to join forces with him, the guy who was a heel turned heel on Jericho and gave a bunch of reasons, legitimate reasons, why Jericho is an asshole and he didn't want to be with him anyway. And we're feeling sorry for Jericho because of all this, uh, and we're gonna <laughs> cheer him. <laughs> I'm glad you've framed it like that, Phil, because I do think like it's. I think it's really hard. Uh, like, you, uh, maybe I'm just sort of too entrenched in like the discourse and X about this yeah. card. But I do think it's really hard sometimes to criticize some of these matches and how we've arrived at what we've arrived at without it sounding like you're just like a miserable Brit. Yeah. To use to use an American's phrase, a miserable Brit that's like unhappy with the card they're getting because Chicago always wins. Right? <laughs> uh, like, in this specific case, it's not that. Yeah. And I um, think as well, like, it's not. I don't think it's us reading too much into this as well. Like, I don't think this is our wrestling bubble thing of, like, picking something apart. This is incredibly easy to pick apart because what they've given us, even at face value, even if you don't dig any deeper, even Mm -hmm. if you ignore the last, like, six, eight weeks or whatever it is of Don Callis caught in this thing, what they displayed on this TV show doesn't make sense. (laughs) Well, do you know, right, and my last little takeaway on this, and it reminded me the difference. I, I, I say this quite a lot because I used to have to apply it to WWE all the time. Think versus feel, right? Yeah. The entire Callis Jericho segment, I'm, we're doing, I'm thinking, 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 and we're having this chat, yeah. effectively. And then Sammy Guevara comes out to help him, and I feel something. Because these are characters that I, this is a relationship I care about. Yeah. This relationship is four years deep. Guevara didn't abandon him last week, and he hasn't abandoned him here. Yeah. And it's like, that's a thing. Like, you could actually, because wrestling's a work, and I want to be worked, <laughs> at this point, I kind of wish it was the sex gods versus Osprey and Takeshita. Yeah. Because I would feel some, I would want the sex gods to get some revenge for Chris Jericho. Yeah. Sammy's sticking up for his old mate because Jericho's opened so many doors for him. Like I'm, I'm in. Yeah, that feels like a something that you know, like, is part of the work that doesn't make me force me like jump through all of these hoops to try and make it make sense. Yeah, rubbish. And also, like, we've just gone through like it was segment to segment, so it was the the Omega stuff going into the Jericho stuff. Mm-hmm. There is no connection between the two. Apart from Takeshita being in the second thing to help with the beatdown, yeah. where is the logical storytelling connection between the two of them? There isn't one. <laughs> no, yeah, you're right. Like, And yet this is Don Callis doing what is essentially laid out on TV as a story arc mm-hmm. through like his character. Yeah. Then there's no connection between them. Like, uh, I, don't, I don't understand. I, um, <laughs> I've never booked a territory, so I don't have any creative competence. Uh, Gates of Agony <laughs> versus Darby Allen and Nick Wayne in action next. Uh, look, I... Like, this was pretty short, but I yeah. thought it was super effective. Yeah. Um, for the fact that this is a second Dynamite match, and last time Nick Wayne was on Dynamite, it was all very much part of the... The, the kid's getting his shot. Like, it's amazing how quickly he already feels part of the furniture. Yeah. I think that speaks to how effective this introduction of Nick Wayne has been. So the Gates of Agony basically treat Nick Wayne like Darby Allen would normally be treated in a tag match. Yeah. He's the smaller guy just getting monstered by these two. It starts off hot with the brawl, but then when the match, like 
very briefly, really, like reverts to a typical tag match formula. They're just battering Nick Wayne. He's this little guy that's in above his head. He's drowning in the deep water, all that sort of thing. The uh, Gates Dragon, you've got these like awesome, like high impact moves. They're like a nice hybrid act of throwback tag stuff, but the athleticism that's required to be like a big name guy in 2023, I guess. It's like, yeah. uh, like I, I don't, I don't want to call it just the Brian Cage model, but a lot <laughs> of wrestlers have taken that and it kind of works now, doesn't it? So Wayne's getting his arse handed to him. You've got um, Swerve and AR Fox on the stage. Commentators make mention of there being no Prince Nana, but yeah. we're going to get gloriously more yeah. on that later on. Um, but yeah, so it's it's looking pretty bleak for Nick Wayne and Darby Allen. But again, in trying to put over, not just that like Nick Wayne's got that fighting spirit in him, but that like Darby Allen is this just like legacy babyface around here at this point. He's like yeah. he's like the white-hearted cowboy. And he doesn't need to dress like Hangman Page, <laughs> like on this show. So Nick Wayne manages to fire up, fire back, and make the hot tag to Darby Allen, who comes in and cleans house. At this point, the baby faces are in charge, uh, and it leads to a finish, which is just inspired. Like the two, Darby Allen and Nick Wayne, like because like Darby Allen has helped elevate Nick Wayne, literally does so. They elevate each other to the top to, top turnbuckle. Uh, Nick Wayne does a moonsault onto one of the gates of agony on the floor yeah. while Darby Allen hits a coffin drop on the other in the ring. It happens simultaneously. AEW, it's not been a great couple of weeks production-wise, mm-hmm. but they nail the shot. Yeah. They pick the exact right camera so you can see the bodies flying simultaneously in midair. Gorgeous stereo finish. So they get the win. That's, it's only like sort of five, six minutes long, like a yeah, nice yeah. tight TV it's match. Squeezed on a lot into it. Though. Yeah, <laughs> on, like a, on a packed dynamite. They kind of nailed this. Um, and it looks obviously like that they're going to be overwhelmed by the numbers game. And uh, Nick Wayne's patrolling the ring with Darby's skateboard while Darby recovers. And just as the uh, Mogul Embassy are about to round on the two faces, they're all stopped dead in their tracks by the return of Joker yeah. Sting. Um <laughs> Bringing it back from like the, the glory TNA years, um, I, pick your Joker. Like, is this Jack Nicholson Heath Ledger? No, it's Sting. It's, Sting, it's yeah. Steve Borden's Joker. Brilliant! Oh, he's unbelievable. <laughs> Classic pulling these faces. He's got the little red lips, like yeah. along with the usual Sting uh, face paint, and he's basically been holding Prince Nana hostage. Um, he does what I'm assuming is a knowing gag at Tony Khan's expense, where he's like, "We got the pay per view in nine days," and then <laughs> Nana corrects him and says eleven before being allowed to <laughs> scarper away in fear. And Sting's so so goddamn weird that like the heels are just stopped in their tracks and it's like see at Wembley for the coffin match I thought this was a, a joy absolute brilliant yeah. yeah loved every second of it from the, the like just the pure chaos of the match from like beat down to like babyface victory to swerve an AR Fox just being menacing oh, God. and all hell Scary. on the outside yeah. I love them as a team by the way yep um, huge huge fan and yeah to the sting i I perfect in terms of like this is how you build to a match i mm-hmm. am super super excited about this match <laughs> it's bananas a double coffin match yeah. like it rules this whole it's thing so is stupid like it's a and really emotional in. like yeah. really evocative stuff at the core of it <laughs> yeah. but like it's gone wild I, I love it and in terms of like the the match that turns sting into the joker sting as well like it's come at a really perfect time mm. of what uh, Swerve and AR Fox have done to like Darby Allen and uh, what's his name uh, Nick Wayne Nick Wayne yeah like they've gone dark with it yeah. and that's the thing that turns Sting into Joker Sting brilliant Aye. and his uh, just his entire promo on it <laughs> I, was just, I was smiling from the very beginning of it as soon as he started to like the reveal of Prince Nana uh, to um, 
screaming in his face <laughs> and, like, as he runs off and then singing the na-na-na-na, na-na-na-na, way. And then just him, like, as they cut back to the arena, like, he's still on the big screen just chatting away to himself, going, oh, I need someone to talk to. Like, who's going to talk to me? I'm all alone. Like, Doing mugging faces and stuff. <laughs> it's so crazy, good. So good. That was Heath Ledger's it. bit, wasn't it? Like, I'll put a smile on that face. Yeah. But you did sting. You, you did. did. You really Thanks did. Sting. Um, <laughs> we get the um, the Better Than You Baby twofer here. So this has been a, a theme um, that we've had a few times on Dynamite. And I think there's a couple of things going on here. So the, we've had the pattern of we get a vignette or a skit, and then we get them live in the building. Yeah. And I kind of think there's two reasons why AEW do this. One is because, like, they draw numbers. Yep. So the more long you keep them on screen, the more theoretically people are going to watch. Yep. But I also feel like it's a pro- It's trying to, um, you know, like, match the duality of the program. So they are both tag team and rivals. So let's see them in these ludicrous bonding exercises, yep. and then let's see them tease the eventual dissension slash breakup slash title match. And I think it's been very effective. Yeah. That said, I kind of thought the skip missed this week. The like kind of lazy and laboured Australian stereotypes. I feel a bit of sympathy for any of our Australians. That's exactly what Australians are like, isn't it? Oh, oh see, I've never been, so I wouldn't know. Nah, but yeah, like the only Australians I've ever seen. That's what. Ah, because like, they didn't have like the corks hanging down yeah. from the hats. Ah, oh, yeah, I, I, I couldn't was, tell if that was what they were yeah. playing or not. Um, I have sympathy for our Australian listeners because of all the years that WWE went to any UK town, said how close they were to Big Ben and put a red phone box on the stage. <laughs> like, we live these same three or four... I have sympathy for our Australian listeners for uh, Adam Wilborn. Well, I mean, I, well yeah, I, I have nothing but apologies for our Australian listeners for Adam Wilborn. But, like, yeah, so they were just... It was all Crocodile Dundee, Crocodile Hunter. They'd gone to Outback Steakhouse, Steakhouse is it? Yeah. yeah. Um, that's how they're going to, um, like, sort of ready themselves for Aussie Open. I will say, because MJF's just a... GD genius at this entire industry. The ability to get over this kangaroo kick as a bit for um, like the live crowd and then for yeah. the Wembley tag match. He knew. He's a genius. Yeah. He's an absolute genius. Like the way he times it out, the way he teases it out. Genuinely, I've not been this excited about the debut of a move since the Lightning Fist. And like, well, or the double clothesline. <laughs> like, so the last one was theirs. Yeah, like, yeah. but no, you're right. It's that. It's that kind of preposterous thing. But the way it's all about, it's all in the cell of it, isn't yeah. it? Imagine that. Imagine that with the Wembley cut. It's all in the cell. It's all in the anticipation. <laughs> um, so we get all that. Uh, an unbelievable gag to end this with, though, because you see them having their big, big funny adventure, double clotheslining a guy into the pool. Um, a really weird, bizarre bit where Tony Khan is bollocking them behind a closed door, but then when he comes out and sees the camera, he's all like, hey, yeah. guys, have a great night. And then he goes, I didn't get that. I don't know. It's, like, I didn't know if they were kind of going for like a Seinfeld bit, but it wasn't like, it was like the door was closed and he was just yelling. So I'm not sure. Yeah. I yeah, don't know. It was I odd and energy switching on a dime, <laughs> but the finale of this absolutely fantastic. So like they've done the, the funny day out, and now it's off to the ring. And MJF arrives. I do think the like Tony Khan in, ba- in the backstage might have been a nod to other backstage. Oh happenings yeah, like that the might have been going on. unable to control the chaos. Maybe yeah. actually, yeah, maybe like a bit of a self referential thing. It's a, like oh yeah, a knowing nod. Fair enough. Fair enough. Actually, I'll give that one a pass. Yeah. Um, so yeah, MJF pulls up in his like flashy sports car, and they said they sort of do the thing right. Let's head off to the ring, and the car is just there, always a step behind as <laughs> usual. Adam, Adam, it's Roderick Strong, still with his neck brace, still with the kingdom. He's raging. He kicks the car, and he potentially injures his foot. Yeah. So like, get that cast on there now. Like, Roderick Strong is a really underrated part of this. It's whole storyline. We've been saying right <laughs> because of course this is played for laughs, but this could get really serious like that. Yeah. Like he's legit Adam Cole's mate, and yeah. at some point he could snap. Yeah. Or if Cole is hatching a plan that involves the kingdom, like Strong just pulls away the neck 
thing with an evil smile when they all beat down MJF. Yeah. There are so many ways this pivots and all of them rule. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why this is as good as it is. So we get the live. Um, uh, oh, yeah, that's it. Because MJF is just spit off because he needs to uh, go to the toilet because uh, some Nashville chicken has given him the trots. Yep. So he goes off to the uh, toilet. And then when they come back, they're both out in the ring. They're doing the usual thing. Um, they've said that they'll come here to talk about All In, but not just the tag title match. They're going to talk about the main event. They've been nothing but straight with each other. And they're going to carry on doing that now. Um, Adam Cole, Phil, says he needs to beat you, MJF. He needs to beat you more than anything you can ever imagine. I Who's like that line. That before? I think that's a really good line. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I vaguely recognise it from something, though. Yeah, maybe that's something off Seinfeld that you've seen. I maybe, can't, yeah. I can't think of it coming up in wrestling. Definitely not foreshadowing anything. No. I think yeah. it might have been the early 2000s sometime. Oh, I don't know. We'd have to have just one more fight over that. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I great stuff. Of course <laughs> it was. Um, so uh, that's his, like, raison d'etre for All In. Uh, MJF takes the mic and says his is because of how much All In is part of his story. He kind of snuck, he believes he snuck his way onto the All In card thanks to the relationship he had with Cody Rhodes. He talks about when he was first in training, the, the story, which he's already told before about writing down two names on a list. One yeah. was the Codester, one was Adam Cole. So there's that history between them. He kind of weaves the two things in. Believes he didn't necessarily think he deserved to be on the first All In, but he took that opportunity and he made a great impression on Tony Khan. And now four years later, All In is a full circle moment for him and that's why it's important to him there's a really nice detail as well where like they're both sort of trying to stay the right side of the line so like MJF's like you're my best friend and Adam Cole's like you're one of my best friends yeah. and that difference is quite key to the dynamic and all that sort of thing uh, and then you know it's getting a little bit testy um, but before anything can happen in terms of a fight or a pull apart or anything um, you get Aussie open rushing the ring to finally get the physicality between those two sides the baby faces clear the ring Adam Cole stands behind MJF, teasing the super kick. MJF turns around. They both go, not tonight. Fans champ for them to hug it out, and they do. And we're still on the road to Wembley. Yeah. This is the one for me. It's not just because it's over. It's not just because it could go six different ways and you cannot call it. The fact that these two men continue to put this show over as the end of the world. That's the phrase I used with Scott the other day. Yeah. Every wrestling show should go, you have to come on Sunday because it's the end of the world. And then right at the end go, now join us tomorrow for Raw. Like, well, that's that's how wrestling works, right? Yeah. It all ends, like, of course it doesn't. We know the story is going to continue past it. Yeah. But the way these two position this as the be all and end all is how everybody in this company should have been pitching this show. Yeah. Loved it. And in terms of, like, it's not just pitching it for the main event of that show. Mm-hmm being the ones to open it as well yeah. on the kickoff thing and Adam Cole saying you but your ass better be in that seat at 5 p.m. cuz mm-hmm. we're going to like be doing something that's special that's the business rationale like, isn't it like how the... you get people in the seats for a kickoff like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you can't ask for more in terms of selling the show uh, i really enjoyed this i liked the skit as well cuz it was just so over the top stupid <laughs> um but i i think it gets away with it on this one for me at least because of the promo afterwards like mm. if they didn't take that promo and go because it was like it was goofy friends being friends, and then it was our oh, friends telling sort of serious stories about their life. To oh well, actually, like this is going to go down at the pay per view. Mm-hmm. Like there was, it was it escalated and it escalated and escalated, and it took it from the stupid goofy nonsense <laughs> <laughs> that was them wearing uh, like Australian hats and hunting a guy with a blow up alligator. Yeah, to selling this match as like you say, like the biggest match of both of their careers mm-hmm. and of. AEW and of like that stadium and everything. 
if we're basing this on crowd numbers, it's the biggest match of Sting's career. Yeah. You know, these are not... <laughs> yeah. th- this is what I was trying to make. I cannot fathom the debate when this is now a fact. How many objective facts have we ever had in wrestling? <laughs> Provable figures. Like, it is preposterous to me that, like, this is not being, like... Yeah. These wrestlers will never have this again. Yeah. And we're like, we're, it's next week. But the skill of these two guys and the confidence mm. to be able to go from that goofy skit to that promo... Yeah. Is incredible. Yeah. Like to be like it's it's ballsy to mm-hmm. be able to say, well, let's just go do this. Let's go to a steakhouse and go like, oh look, steaks on the menu. Oh, I'm really full. That was the best meal ever. To like a sort of incredibly personal feud yeah. that like could end a friendship, but they're both like got respect for each other. But it's going to be the biggest match of their careers. Like that is a ballsy move to be able to do that in what was like 15 minutes of a TV show like running on. Mm. Like it wasn't even one bit at the beginning of the show, one bit at the end of the show. No. It was right in That's it, the yeah. goofiness into the seriousness. And it was handled like perfectly for me. It's um I think it's another kind of like shot in the eye of anybody that very early on and I get why people are saying this, but it was like it's too comedic and lightweight for a world title program. Yeah. That is a there's a reason why that is a generic take. Yeah. But you have to go case by case when you've got performers as talented as these 100%. two. Okay, across the board, typically I would agree. Yeah. But then you deal with the performers in front of you, and you've, certain men and women can just do it better. Yeah, you've got to look at the pacing of it as well, in mm. terms of, like, the goofiness has been spread out over quite a long time yeah. now, and, like, it's it sort of escalated in goofiness, and this is probably the goofiest it's been, but then it levels it out into the seriousness, and as it gets closer to that match, the seriousness is getting more and more serious as you get closer, and they realize that this match is happening Matches coming up, like something's going to happen there. This could be the end. And the amount of teases that they've now done for an Adam Cole turning on MJF, like Mm -hmm. the uh, the line in this promo, the like teasing the super kick. The was it last week when they did the hug and he did the like fists on the back of him, like stabbing him in the back thing. Like there's been a lot of those Mm -hmm. kind of teases that they're laying into this. And yet you're never allowed to think it might not be MJF. Exactly, yeah, because it's MJF. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's, but, uh, I, I love still referring to himself as the devil yeah <laughs> they've worked people into forgetting that these two opened fire with live rounds on each other then had a 30 minute draw yeah that was how this all started yeah. I remember that first week going man have they got anything left <laughs> like they've just given everything and that was why is because we're going to tell the story in a totally yeah. different and unique way and if anything it makes this being the main event even more special that it is these two guys like you've got the pure out and out AEW guy in MGF yeah who's on the top form of his life mm-hmm. of anyone's life yeah. <laughs> at the minute he's genuinely incredible to adam cole who even though he had the wwe one he was always like the indie guy yeah like even in nxt when he was on top of nxt he was just the indie guy doing indie stuff keith lee's manager yeah would have been the wwe, WWE. Yeah. and when he was going to go to wwe that was what it was going to yeah. end up as he like accidentally got the daniel bryan match because mm-hmm. of the plane situation yeah, yeah. smackdown and that was like oh adam cole could be this on the main muscle but we were never going to get that And for him to have to leave that company in order to be the person that he wanted to be in wrestling, to go over to AEW and then to now be headlining this, one of the biggest sort of wrestling show, not ever, because there has been bigger ones, but, you know, they don't really talk about that. We don't talk about (laughs) (laughs) that. The biggest one in recent memory, anyway, by the long shot, I think is like a genuine testament to both of their talents. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Uh, we've put off talking about this long enough. And, <laughs> you know, if for some reason you've picked a podcast and you've gone bang straight into the middle, please go back and listen to us talk about the nice side of this match because we're going to talk about the nasty one now. It's a Texas Chainsaw Massacre death match between... I loved it. I don't know what you're talking about. Jeff Jarrett and Jeff Hardy. Don't whirlbore me, Phil. From the very beginning, Jeff Hardy chanting his own name as he wandered through oh, the crowd. God. I was in, baby. Oh, man. Right, so... Hardy, 
What are you doing? So he gets like, he gets all the way to the ring, and then he's like, I'm going to the back. Oh, he peels off his face first. Yeah, sorry, he's got his own leather face. Yeah, he peels off a leather face to reveal leather face makeup. Yeah, aye. Uh, the sting taking the sting mask off. Oh, that Jeff. <laughs> with Leatherface. So yeah, he goes into like this um, like kind of corridor near the stage. It's which a strange stuff. Like it's a dimly lit like wall that looks like it's got like weapons and things hanging off. I think it's yeah. supposed to look like some of the like the rooms in Texas Chainsaw Massacre when they see all the awful implements of torture. But it was also like. definitely a fan open area of the yeah. stadium because there were fans there mm-hmm. like kind of waiting and they must have seen the lighting being set up and yeah. going, like what the hell's going on so there were fans there to watch it and vaguely chant hardy as uh, hardy was hardy. chanting it way louder than they were sound like a thunderdome button didn't it <laughs> yeah so yeah so this had been set up during the show i, I guess. guess so so they i oh, anyway so you don't get a brie where you get jeff jarrett attacking from behind in this little secluded area where i mean that's why you hate this match You've i was really jeff jarrett singles match and you didn't get a brie well, but like, I, I mean that's gonna set you off you think so? I got one at the end. You think that'd cheer me up? <laughs> I was just glad it was over. So anyway, they're having this, they're having this fight. Uh, it's just a brawl. But then all of a sudden, um, Satnam Singh and Karen Jarrett appear on the scene mm-hmm. and attack Jeff Hardy. That triggers um, the Hardy party to make an appearance. And now it's just this very badly lit sort of really gang lit. brawl. <laughs> and it, like, it wasn't li- like it, it was red. So it was like the fiend. Magic. Yeah, yeah. But at least you could see what was going on in the fight. Yeah. Matches. So little of this matters, right? It is just moves. It's just like punches, yeah. kicks, and, and the odd weapon bath. spot. Oh, don't forget about that. Well, and this was the point. So like at one point, the Hardy Party tipped fake blood on Jeff Jarrett and Karen Jarrett. Karen Jarrett was in white. So it was Jeff Hardy, actually. But like Jeff Jarrett was like soaked in blood. The two of them, they were obviously going for what it looks like when you watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the characters yeah. that survive. They're just soaked in blood, but it's not real blood. So like I get... That was the effect they were going for, and in it, I suppose it was effective. You know, yeah. like for the look at the end of the match, they're yeah, supposed yeah. to have looked like they've endured, right? Yeah. But they've just had a bucket of like it looks like when the fiend tip bolognese on Finn Balor, doesn't it? Yeah, and when they were backstage bathed in the red light, it was just like oh, they've got a bit of a goopy face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So <to laughs> I also my like uh, another favorite bit of this is that there was literally that wall set up with like loads of different weapons and like torture equipment yeah. and like Texas chainsaw type stuff, and it was a, a crutch that Jeff Hardy used I know, man. as Aye. the first weapon. A very, very wrestling weapon thing. The, <laughs> the ring had been filled with, like, tables and chairs as well, just <laughs> just like in the film. Um, so anyway, Aye, so that you've got the two sides warring at this point, basically. That's all it is. It's a, like... A it's a Hardy on, compound thing, but Aye. backstage in it. Or in a building. Yeah. It's the worst of every world. <laughs> so the two warring factions eventually brawl their way towards the ring. Um, the... There's very little to know. It's because it's just like the basically the Hardy Party are attempting to put Jeff Jarrett through a table. Very little to know. There was smoke coming out from under the there ring. There was. There was smoke that bellowing was like, out. Come on. Yeah, as this like very fake looking offense was taking place on all four corners. Like this was brilliant. What, whatever anarchy in the arena was, this was the polar opposite because there was no anarchy being created despite the best efforts of like special <laughs> effects and weapons and the like. So they're trying to put Jeff Jarrett through a table. That doesn't work. Jeff Jarrett gets his guitar, but Jeff Hardy gets it and smashes Jarrett in the head with it. That doesn't win in the match. Even though it had one of Jeff Hardy's paintings on Jeff Jarrett guitar. That's right. It had like a Jeff Hardy face type thing in the shape of a guitar, didn't it? Um, So yeah, that goes over um, Jeff Jarrett's head. Um, Sorry, yeah, but um, Hardy can't get the win because everybody's too distracted because here comes Leatherface (laughs) down the aisle with a chainsaw, Phil. Um, 
Oh, oh no, like Jeff's like, I wanted to beat him, but like, here's a mad psychopath with a chainsaw. Don't worry, Swerve turn, he's actually a baby face. So he turns on. <laughs> you Karen, can't control Leatherface. He turns on Karen Jarrett and chases her out the building. No, my favorite bit of this is uh, he comes out wielding, wielding the chainsaw, swinging it around yeah. with piped in chainsaw sounds. Yes. So that's going over like the PA loudspeakers. <laughs> But then the first, I don't, can't remember who it was, was the first person that he like squared up to. Yeah. He has a chainsaw in his hand and he decides to just kick a dude down. Yeah. <laughs> like you've right. got a chainsaw. Just a worked kick. Like yeah. grabs a hold for and a second. And then turns yeah. around and goes for Karen. So he sends Karen packing. Um, <laughs> and like, look, if I've trivialized all these weapon shots and all these moments, it's because it was all played so dumb, right? And it like, this is this could almost be seen as praise rather than criticism. I hated this. It's, it's Jeff Jarmarsh and I hated it. The pacing was all wrong. The tone was all wrong, whatever. But it, it was dumb to like, at its core. Very, yeah. very silly at its core. You pointed this out. All them torture weapons. And it's like, oh, he's got a crutch. They're yeah. just having a very pro wrestling knockabout, crash holly adjacent hardcore yeah. match. Yeah? So like, to the point where you've almost like sort of, oh, Leatherface. Like, you, you intended to look at him as basically Doink the Clown, like, but slightly scary. And bloody Leatherface. And then Jeff Jarrett wins when Jay Lethal smashes Jeff Hardy in the back of the head with a hammer. <laughs> like, the pivot of, like, this sort of, like, you know, whiplash snapping your neck so fast. Like, oh, he's just smashed him in the head. Jeff Hardy's dead. Like, the, it wasn't the hammer shot that made the win either. It was the hammer shot that knocked him down, but then he got, like, choke slammed. That's right. Yeah, so it, sorry. The hammer wasn't enough to keep him sorry, down. Sorry, yeah, pardon my manners. <laughs> yeah, they, and then obviously Satnam Singh is there to just plant, like, Jeff Jarrett's lifeless body on top of Jeff to uh, <laughs> to win the belt. Like the, the Leatherface <laughs> Championship The Leatherface Championship belt. It had Leatherface's face on it. It did. Um, it, some belt collectors will be, bu- belt collectors will be buzzing <laughs> to get their hands on that one. That'll be worth it. Pr- Jeff Jarrett's not stupid, is he? <laughs> yeah. That'll go in his house for a bit <laughs> yeah. and that'll get sold when he needs some money. Um, so what a legend. I, oh, I mean, this is the thing, right? We did the disclaimer at the start of this podcast. Uh, this sponsorship deal is worth 100 grand. The 100 grand went to the charity. Like, good things, yep. can ha- good things can happen from bad things because I think this is one of the worst Dynamite matches ever. I was having a pretty bad time with this Dynamite from, like, the bulk of what we talked about in the first hour. And at this point, because of the tone of just how stupid it was, I was reaching for the quote-unquote, glory days of the Dark Order pulling a bloody condom out of Matt Jackson's <laughs> mouth. Like, I thought this was a night... It's like 10 minutes plus. Yeah, it was this w- w- would not end. Like, <laughs> Jeff Jarrett and... Ma- uh, sorry, Jeff Hardy... Not Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy moving in slow goddamn motion. With everything. It was a point where like, there was a platform backstage and, like, Jeff Hardy was doing his, like, running dive thing. Yeah. Poor sod cannot run. So he's just slowly <laughs> strolling to do the dive and, like, the heels have to stand there. Oh, no, here he comes. Like, the steamroller spot in Austin Powers. <laughs> like, oh, this was... This made me miserable. I loved it. Oh, it was, good, good. It was light shade. Yeah, good. I loved it for all of the wrong reasons. I'll right, okay. point that out. I laughed my ass off. I was genuinely laughing out loud in the office watching that. This right, morning. Okay. I was just chuckling away to myself because of how goddamn stupid it was. Yeah. Like, <laughs> literally from the beginning of Jeff Hardy tearing off his own skin to, uh, <laughs> and to him doing his chant, I, I was in because yeah. I was just like, this is going to be a mess. Mm-hmm. And you could tell from the beginning that it was going to be an absolute mess. <laughs> and I enjoy absolute mess. I really liked the uh, Money in the Bank uh, silent era um, pandemic when Rey Mysterio got chucked off the roof. Oh, it was God. Just dumb. I can't. It I was so incredibly dumb. Yeah. I had a great time watching that match. The, right, the zombie zombies. One. The zombie this is, this this is, is that, AEW's, uh, WWE zombies. Cash grab. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And they've given it away. So yeah. yeah it's, so uh, fair enough. Uh, it's 
yeah, they if they did this every week, no one would watch this show. No, I'll put that out there. <laughs> yeah, like it just everybody would turn off if they did this every week. It was genuinely bad, but <laughs> I had a really great time watching it and just oh, watching Phil. a car crash. Like it made me smile. Yeah, you've kind of. Made me feel bad about bearing it now. <laughs> uh, we'll, just, we'll just move on, I suppose. Um, not unfamiliar. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it was good by no. any stretch of the imagination. Let me prof- like, but you had a nice let time. Let me get that over. No, it wasn't that's fair. good. That's fair. But I had a great time. <laughs> um, the bunny and Britt Baker were... Follow that, guys. <laughs> well, in familiar circumstances, because they were in a literal death spot here, because they had to follow a Texas Chainsaw Massacre match, yeah. but it was in that typical dynamite last quarter hour thing. Crowd were dead. Yeah, um, still only had like five minutes or whatever. I should point out, right, and this is it, like obviously everybody's tastes are different and we've just given kind of a perfect example of that. Yeah. The crowd were not into this Texas Ooh. Chainsaw match and the commentators Ooh. didn't know how to call oh, it. That, that was my favourite thing about, like, well, one of my favourite things did they, right there. As soon as it finished yeah. and Jarrett was holding up that title, Taz just goes... Well, that was something. <laughs> None of them wanted to sacrifice the credibility calling it, did they? Like, you could tell. Um, all right, so, like, every, the, the air's out of the balloon in the room, whatever, and um, and Britt Baker and the bunny have got to try and have a, a fight in this. Worse still, they've got to have, like, the most predictable of fights because yeah. there's absolutely no way the bunny's winning. Yep. Um, no stakes. No, no stakes. Whatsoever. Well, I mean, but, the, but the biggest of all stakes, but just ones that nobody believes. Well, you know, yeah, like, of yeah, like a terribly booked tournament yeah. for a terribly booked match with in no something story. something that should, like be treated as something special because the bunny's been out for bloody ages yeah. first match back mm-hmm. like she's been insanely unlucky with mm-hmm. uh, injuries over her AEW run like if you treated this right it could have felt like oh big return there's a new face in the women's division like you could have yeah. elevated the bunny through this return and instead you put her out in a match where everybody knew she was going to lose mm-hmm. Uh, she immediately reduced the out again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, honestly, this is when we do the, well, if WWE did this, if AEW did this, like, when WWE bring people back from injuries and beat them like drums, it's infuriating. Yeah. Because it's one of the chances you've got to be hot all over again. Yeah. People, it's like, it's the one saving grace of an injury in wrestling is that you get to be away yeah. from the weekly grind. And, yeah, for her to be the one chosen to come back, I just find that, like, perplexing. It's, I think sometimes things scan as nice gestures, but the long-term damage is way worse. Yeah. She's been reduced in status already. Like, she was never going to beat Britt Baker, nor did anybody want her to beat Britt Baker. Yeah. Like, this wasn't even Britt Baker working like a faux babyface character. She was just a face. Yeah. Like, there was four heels out there. She won the match. There was absolutely nout to it, by the it way. It wasn't just her, on her return match, losing to Britt Baker either. It was her, on her return match, with Penelope Ford by her side, who was interfering in the match, and they still lost. Yeah. And they did it all in, like, five minutes. Yeah. Job, job of stuff. Yeah. Absolutely job of stuff. Um, like, Britt Baker, I, I think, cares. She wore the, um, like, the old dentist yeah. stuff from the all-in match. That's, like, that's a nice, cute callback. It's an MJF thing here. Like, look how far we've come. Yeah. But then they're not at all because you're in an identical match because even when there wasn't a company, they were still being just rammed into four ways without a, an actual yeah. angle. So it's, you know, I, I kind of admire that on her behalf of wanting to try and elevate this. But yeah. where was... Any mention of this match elsewhere on the show? Where yeah. was Sheeda? Dare you have a second match that also relates to this four-way scene as, as of mm. us recording? There's one woman's match on the card. Yeah. Like, the title itself was a ghost here. It was yeah. just like, oh, Britt Baker's in. See it when... Like, and uh, what was the point in this entire, like, I see in ta- tournament, very much in inverted commas? Yeah. Because it's like four... Like, well, it was... One of them got a bloody bye into it as well, didn't yes, they? Yes, Tony, Tony Storm. That was her rematch clause, they said. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, one of, so one got a bye. One of them won the title in order to be in the match. Yep. as And that was the tournament. Like, yep. what? And then the other two were just full-blown conclusions that they were going to yes. win. Heavy and favorites. so the other people that are in that match are immediately, like, lowered down to yeah. a tier 
that is far below these people. <laughs> yes, it's AEW's obvious, well, obvious losers thing. That they, they really, need. really didn't need to be. Yeah. So th- this, like, I, the idea of having it as a tournament mm. belittles all of the people involved. Yeah. It belittles the championship itself because it doesn't really make any sense. Mm. And it belittles the match because it's not about the personal feuds going into it. It's about the tournament, which is kind of around personal feuds that don't really make yeah, yeah. Sense. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's so slapdash. The um, just really briefly on this, because um, you're assuming that like a TBS title match will be added. Um, yeah. Statland has been doing stuff with Mercedes Martinez, like yeah. that's folded in Willow Nightingale and Diamante. Maybe that tag from Collision becomes a four way. I don't know. I don't love it. My personal pitch for this is um, similar to the Orange Cassidy Invitational. Do a battle royal. Yeah. Like the women's division. You know this whole debate about well, if it was singles matches, people wouldn't get on the show. And a little bit of me is like, well, like if you're a bloke tough yeah. like more men than not get opportunities yeah. in AEW and I know Tony Khan has this habit of like somebody's really interesting for six weeks and gone for ages but like compared to the women geez there is no comparison yeah. if you're going to do ah uh, give everybody some time in front of the crowd battle royal give it to the women's division yeah hoy Chris Statlander in a 20 woman invitational and everybody gets a minimum of a couple of minutes out there in front of the biggest crowd they'll ever work in front of. Yeah. That's the battle royal mm. book for me. And you go t- and you include Athena from Ring of Honor and you you know, you sort of yeah. look around and you see who else you might want to give a nice spot to because they're not getting it on dynamite and collision. They're not getting yeah. booked properly. You know, they're not in stories, are they? So Yeah, no, not at all. Bring in some UK people. Yeah. I like that if that's where you're gonna be generous on Billy McKenzie in it. Absolutely. <laughs> totally. Um I that's where I'll be generous if you're gonna be generous at all, yeah. and I don't sense they will. Um just quickly here, the acclaimed were in action. It wasn't something previewed, but then it quickly made sense as to why that was. Mm-hmm. They were going to win a squash. Max Caster come out and does the rap. It's just a couple of losers. They've got Billy Gunn's boots, but then the lights go out, and the House of Black are there when the lights come back on. They deck them with relative ease and take the boots as a trophy. Uh, like, trios title match, you would assume. Like, yeah. one, they've had two. They were pretty... We were there for one. Yeah. Pretty bang average, if we're honest. But, like, this one's got a story, at least. Yeah. They believe they've retired Billy Gunn. They've scared him off. He's going to come back. Yeah. They could win the belts, maybe, even. Maybe. It uh, could be Billy Gunn's last match ever. It could be, which like, makes you wonder if it's going to be at Wembley or Chicago. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh-huh. I mean, it was fine. It's building a story. It was another example of just insanely rapid-fire dynamite. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that personally had a knock-on effect to the main event because yeah. the guys were obviously playing for time here. The Young Bucks versus the Guns was the dynamite in inverted commas main event. Um, the Guns do that entrance that people absolutely love and then the Bucks break it up with super kicks. Yeah, and which, do their pose. Which was really great, like doing yeah. the pose and the Guns light. and Good use know, of time as well. <laughs> absolutely, like super economical. <laughs> yeah. But if you're going to buy into this, right, the Bullet Club Gold have pissed off the elite then it would stand to read. Like, they've seen their yeah. friends beating up Kenny Omega, so they're going to get them back. I like at least the attempt to yeah. make this feel a bit real and yeah. lived in, you know. The match, however, um, you know, it's kind of every Young Bucks match you've ever seen, and that's mm-hmm. not a criticism, yeah. but it's them kind of walking the guns through just a selection of their high spots. The problem for me here is that this was neither now nor summit because um, for a less than 10-minute TV sprint, because that was all the TV time remaining, yeah. They still tried to work the back and forth formula. The Young Bucks are going into this FTR match to determine not just this is like the tribal combat match, right? This is not just for the belt. This is for like we're going to allow whoever wins to call themselves the best tag team in wrestling, right? Rethink the way you agent this match, yeah, and don't share the offense with the guns when you work in now a nine minute sprint. Like run them ragged, knock them about, super kick the life out of them, beat them, and like get a bit cocksure with it and say like. 
with a with the best. We've absolutely embarrassed these guys, and I get why because it was in the main event spot, and maybe if it had had five more minutes, you'd have got more of a flourish from the young bucks. But there yeah. just didn't appear to be time to me. You work the almost like WWE tag formula back and forth, trade advantage. Young bucks make the comeback. Young bucks win clean, and that's your match. It's yet another case where I don't think it's necessarily been a big advert for the match they're promoting, yeah. which we did get <clears throat> because um, FTR come out. And stop. Well, we got some people staring at each other. Well, yeah, yeah. FTR come out and stop um, an attack on the Young Bucks because they want the Young Bucks to be fully fit. And ostensibly, this is babyface versus babyface. Yeah. And then, as you say, we get a stare down to end the show. Again, like I will say this for all in, build or no build, this is an all in match. It is. Yeah. The biggest tag match in wrestling on the biggest stage. It yeah. should be on the card, and it is. They made the right call. Um, I just, I kind of thought the match was all wrong outside of the hot start. I felt like they were protecting the, bu- the gun club. Like, they didn't yeah. want to squash the gun club. Yes. Like, especially, like, I mean, they went through all their moves and everything. And, like, Nick Jackson, was it, that got the hot tag? Aye. I remember it has, like, one of the best you could possibly it's, imagine. Like, he just goes absolutely nuts. Like, yeah. every single time. Always hits, doesn't it? A joy to watch. Yeah. He's, he's absolutely incredible. But, like, with the finish, because the gun club went for roll-up and then tried to, like, hold each other yeah. on the ropes, but then they got out of it. But then when the Young Bucks did the same thing, they held themselves down as well. So it's like, oh, well, tit for tat. If you're yeah. going to do it, we're going to do it. So they won with a roll-up that is a sort of way of protecting people mm-hmm. anyway, but they also won it with a roll-up with help from the outside. So yeah. it's like, if the, especially the finish felt like they were trying to like not completely diminish the gun club. Like mm-hmm. maybe they see something there that is like, okay, well, we will need these in the future. Yeah. We can't like completely squash That's them fair. now. Which I think is a nice thing to do. But then also when you're going into a match that is as big as this with the sort of stakes of it and the sort of one versus one mm. uh, Young Bucks FTR, like the, the, the blow-off match kind of thing. Um, it feels like they should have won a little bit more de- decisively, let's say. If I'm going to be generous, could this be a case of what they tried to do with Omega in 2019 that didn't really take, where they're almost like doing themselves down on purpose to look like they're trying to find the form? It's like that real sports story. Yeah. Like the Young Bucks at the moment aren't, they've been dicking around in trios and multi-mans that they're not, like, look at FTR, man. Like, yeah. having these title defences on collision, they are at their best, they are at their peak, and they are ready, yeah. and the Young Bucks aren't. So they've almost got to, like, overcome some internal obstacles, and they've got to find, rather than, like, being the best, they've got to find their best to win. Like, could that, am I being generous there, or is maybe that's I mean, maybe they cheated, plenty, yeah. you know, they've grabbed the ropes just, just in inverted commas, to beat the guns. Yeah. Is that, like, the, their way of indicating we're not, peak here we're kind of faking it till we make it i mean there's plenty in there that could inform that like from mm. the very beginning with the sneak attack from behind in, yeah during their entrance um like it is like a personal thing with the elite and the um little, little bang bang club yeah uh, but, <laughs> uh, so that informs that but like at the same time it's oh the young bucks wanting to get a little bit ahead because they're not sure like if they've mm. got it against these guys it, like straight to one of them doing the dive off the stage like right from the very beginning it's yeah like oh let's take these guys down quickly kind mm-hmm. of thing and go full in with it. And it kind of goes, like, I mean, there's, like, people saying online a little bit that, like, the Young Bucks are kind of phoning it in or something. Or, like, they're not, like, at the peak of what they've yeah. been doing, like, recently. Mm-hmm. Like, that, the first five minutes of this kind of goes against everything that you could be said about them because they went really, really fast, really quickly right at the beginning. I do love that about the Young Bucks is that you could argue sometimes even when they're only, like, in sort of, like, a middle gear, like a yeah, third gear. Just because they're so good. They're still vastly superior to almost everybody else has <laughs> yeah, ever done it. Really yeah, good. Well, yeah, um, just a bizarre 
episode of Dynamite like. My, uh, I got a tweet, this, uh, not a tweet, a message this morning from uh, Simon Miller that probably sums it up uh-huh. uh, where he just says, where is it? Hang on. He just says, uh, uh, hey, dude, how's it going? What a bonkers episode of AEW. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's, uh, honestly, I just, my head was sort of spinning off the back of this. I know I didn't like the vast majority of it, yeah. but either way, like, it was just... It undulated and spiraled, and I still can't fathom that all in his next Sunday, so I would consider it ineffective. But what did all of you listening think? Am I just stuck in this miserable funk at this point? The debate rages on today, now the matches. We had the rumour row, and now we're having the confirmation yeah. row. So like, it's just <laughs> it's a continuation of the weekend's aggro over this card. So it's definitely like a hot-button topic, I think. But yeah. let us know what you think about this dynamite in the, uh, in the comments below. We'll get the tweet out later on. Um, if you want to reach out to us all individually or with the team you can do, you can find Phil Chambers on X at... Uh, at fill my chambers I had to think about that (laughs) (laughs) I'm at Michael Hamflit we're all at what culture WWE Um, we'll be back later in the week to preview collision which I guess in terms of UK Aaron is technically our last one before the show itself because we don't get collision in the UK until like a Tuesday or something (laughs) um, through proper means Um, and uh, I think what you're saying if I'm fortunate enough I can drag Phil back into the Good show with the Fed uh, yeah. for a bit of SmackDown preview stuff tomorrow, maybe. So the, uh, the wacky week continues. And, What's uh, going to happen with Jey Uso, eh? Oh, Christ. Oh, yeah, maybe I'll stick with AW after all. And, uh, <laughs> yes, thank you for sticking with us this week and, indeed, over this uh, sort of slightly chaotic summer. And, indeed, spend some of your time with us today. Until next time, we will see you soon. <laughs>